Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. My name is Andrea Bricka and I am your host. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women, who happen to also be executives and lawyers, navigate the boundaries often placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we hear a new story from a different woman about what that is like. Joining me today is Justine Harrison, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary for Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Justine, welcome to Between the Legal Lines, and thank you for joining me today. Could you please just tell us a little about who you are, your current role, and how you got there? Well, thanks for having me, Andrea, and uh, I'm Justine Harrison. I'm currently in the role of General Counsel of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, which is the largest uh, membership association in the aviation world. And we represent general aviation, and a lot of folks don't know what that means. So folks are very uh, familiar with the airlines, and then, of course, you see in the movies those glamorous private jets that people step off of. What general aviation is and the constituency that we mainly represent through our membership, and we have 320,000 members in the U.S., are the folks who typically fly the little planes that are at your local airports, the two-seaters, the four-seaters, the six-seaters with a propeller on the front or a couple of propellers, and uh, fly themselves for uh, personal and, and sometimes business reasons. So how I got here is an interesting and windy path. So when I uh, was in law school, I actually never planned to be a lawyer, Uh, but then opportunities presented themselves and I ended up joining a boutique law firm out of law school and then went in-house and became general counsel for a large nonprofit corporation in Nevada, uh, which was one of the clients of the law firm. After that, I went into private practice and that is where I discovered aviation because somebody gave me a gift certificate to go down and get a discovery flight at the local flight school in North Las Vegas. And I went up in a little plane and said, this is the most fun I have ever had. And how do I do more of this? And so it became a hobby, but then quickly became an area of interest professionally to me. And it turned out nobody was really doing aviation law in Nevada. And so it became an opportunity. It became a significant part of my practice uh, for the last decade. And then out of the blue, I got a call from AOPA saying uh, our general counsel is retiring and you happen to have that unique combo of aviation and nonprofit experience. Would you be interested? And, And that's how I got here. What a great story to erode to general counsel at such an organization. Has there been any one person that's been particularly helpful in your career? 
I can't think of any one because what I've really tried to do is build a team of supporters and experts who I can reach out to when I need advice on any given area. And no one person can be all things. So if I was going to thank everybody who's been helpful, we'd probably take up more than 20 minutes just doing that. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. And you get to work in something that's your hobby, which I think is also fascinating and things that people think about doing and don't always get the chance to do. But what challenges and opportunities do you face as a general counsel for a nonprofit in a very unique space with your tagline that is your freedom to fly? I just love that. But what challenges and opportunities (laughs) do you face? Sure. Well, I, I would say that the greatest opportunity is I'm working for a nonprofit, so it's mission driven. And it's a mission that is personal to me and deeply impacts me personally as well as professionally. So so I'm very, very fortunate to be able to support and help further a mission um, in an area that I really care about care about. I would say that um, one of the most unique challenges of the position, as well as the opportunity is, uh, I have three different kind of legal buckets that I manage. One, of course, is the corporate needs, you know, the contracts and the employment matters and, and the general variety show of things that come across the transom for any general counsel of an entity. But the second is we have big advocacy needs, um, legal advocacy, and then we have a separate government affairs team uh, in downtown DC. And on the legal advocacy side, we look for cases to get involved with and we file amicus briefs. You know, in the last year, um, we've gotten involved in the Ninth Circuit and the DC uh Circuit Court of Appeals, and we get involved as well in, in cases in in front of the National Transportation Safety Board. So that's another area. And then the third, which is pretty unique to AOPA, is we also have something called Pilot Protection Services. So we have 320,000 members and about 71,000 of those pilots and aircraft owners on an annual basis pay a little bit extra for something called Pilot Protection Services. Because if you need help with an aviation law issue, it's hard to find somebody who is well-versed in that esoteric area. So we have five in-house attorneys, three paralegals, and then a network of over 600 attorneys that are across the U.S. in all 50 states who provide aviation-specific counsel to our members on things involving aviation regulatory matters, purchase and sale matters of aircraft, custom and border patrol issues when you're crossing borders, um, and those sorts of things. So uh, I also oversee that program. So I've got three very important areas uh, that I'm responsible for and triaging the needs in those three areas is probably one of the biggest challenges. Interesting. Yeah, that, that is are a lot of different buckets that are sound like they are very unique to your space. Um, could you please talk about the interaction you see between the general counsel and other executive team members? Who do you interact with the most? Where do you, those relationships intersect? And what do you think is the most effective approach to interaction? Well, on a day-in, day-out basis, the folks I interact with uh, most often would be um, our CEO, um, our chairman of the board, 
our CFO, um, and also the person who oversees administration. So those are the people who I interact with most often on a daily basis. But I'm always interacting with people in various areas of the organization. So a good example is we have a big e-media and publishing arm. We publish multiple magazines. We have multiple online uh, publications, those sorts of things. So I work quite a bit with that group as well. Um, the relationships all intersect because we're all serving the members in one way or the other or enabling the organization to do that. And so what I find the most effective approach to interaction is, is first of all, we may be coming at an issue from different angles, but level setting before difficult conversations that we're all on the same team and we're all here to further our mission. So we're all headed towards the same goal. We may have different ideas about how we need to get there or how we think it's optimal to get there. Um, but level setting that to give the framework and then also remembering where the legal advice ends and where the business side begins and understanding what's a true pure legal decision versus what's a business risk decision and who's most appropriate to make those decisions is really important in helping folks understand I'm here to serve the organization and I'm a service provider to internal clients. So as a service provider to internal clients and part of the leadership team, what have you learned about leadership from the COVID crisis that we've just been through? Well, I've learned we're all a lot more flexible and adaptable than I, I think um, that we may have thought. I mean, switching the whole team to working remotely and to put this in perspective, this organization I work for was started in 1939. So... It is not a tech company that was, you know, already prepared to work uh, virtually and, and things like that, that we've, we've had some remote workers, but by and large, everybody came in, showed up at the office um, day in, day out. And so to have that transition within the span of a week to a full remote workforce and, um, dealing with the challenges, but also seizing some of those opportunities, um, that's where I've learned that being flexible and adaptable and not just looking at things as challenges, but trying to see where is the opportunity in this um, while you're navigating through what you perceive to be a challenge uh, is really important. And the leadership team at my organization uh, really did a great job. So as a woman in a leadership position, what, if anything, do you wish you were freer to say or do at work? And if there is anything, why can't you? I'm not sure that there's anything I'm not free to do or say at work. I don't think of it in that context. I mean, unless you're talking about um, being casual and and you've always got to maintain your professionalism, but not lose your personality in that. Um, but what I do wish I was freer to do at work in communication is, I think we as attorneys are a lot more comfortable with conflict and conversation and how that can be really constructive. Um, and 
What I find is sometimes in working with other colleagues and particularly those who don't hold the same title level that I do, who are layers down in an organization, where I wanna hear uh, a diversity of perspectives on an issue that, that we're looking at and addressing. And it's really important to do that. And having disagreement can be actually incredibly constructive in, in that process, but people aren't always comfortable with that because they don't have the training to do that. And also when there's a power level disparity, whether it's real or perceived uh, with job titles. And that's something where I wish as a whole that folks at work were more comfortable with difficult conversations and, and the benefits that those can bring. I really like that. Maintain your professionalism without losing your personality. I, I, I like that line. Uh, building a little bit upon that, what has been stronger throughout your career? Any restraints you placed on yourself or restrictions placed on you by other people? It's always been me getting in my own way. <laughs> um, you know, um, <laughs> my own head getting in my own way. And oftentimes, interestingly enough, it's it's through a failure of imagination. And so I never would have dreamed of having this job that I'm in right now to be able to work for a nonprofit for a mission I care deeply about. My office is on an airport. I can walk to my aircraft in five minutes from my office and, and, and be in the air at lunchtime or just take a break and say, I need to clear my head and I'm going to go fly for a bit. I mean, I never could have dreamed of such a thing. Um, but that's not because it didn't exist. That's because of a failure of imagination. And so what I found is oftentimes when uh, trying to think my way through challenges or identify opportunities, it's me and my failure to imagine upsides, downsides, and possibilities um, that has really been my biggest obstacle. Another great one. Don't let the failure of imagination hold you back. It really does sound like you have a dream job where you are now. And I, yeah, you're probably one of the very few people that can go out and fly at lunch break and clear their head. That sounds amazing, I have to say. So switching gears a little bit and talking more generally, data continues to show a gender pay gap for most legal roles, particularly GC roles. And I understand nonprofits a little different even across the board, but do you have any thoughts on how we can close that gap going forward and even how we get more women into the general counsel seat? I think on the pay gap and and this... This really applies across the board, not just for GCs, but all jobs. I know in the past, when somebody applies for a job, you ask what they are currently making. If somebody already is in a job that has a pay gap where they're lagging, and then by asking that and basing any of your decision-making on what you're going to pay them if you hire them on that number, perpetuates that pay gap. And so I think there are very some simple things that we can do to say we are hiring for this job. We believe the salary range is X based on the data. Use hard data for why, why you believe that range is correct. And then what they were making in their previous role 
really is irrelevant. I think that's one big step companies can take. Any thoughts on getting more women into the general counsel seat? Maybe it is that failure of imagination, but do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I would say organizations can really benefit for instead of looking at somebody who fits into an organizational culture or fits into, uh, you know, the box of needs uh, that the business feels that a position will fill. Instead, they can benefit by looking at how do we expand and build upon our culture and will this person help us do that? And how can somebody, particularly people who are a little less traditional um, from their pathway forward, um, how can that actually benefit and enhance our business capabilities? How, how can their different perspectives uh, impact the organization and benefit the organization? You know, and I think it's important to really beware of uh, requirements uh, that we think are requirements um, that we put into job descriptions, but perhaps unnecessarily narrow a pipeline. So, for instance, um, I happen to be a pilot, which I find helpful in my position, but my predecessor wasn't a pilot. But if they had required people to be a pilot in my position, the reality is only 8% of licensed pilots in the U.S. right now are female. And then so if you narrow the pipeline to that number and then you say on top of it, I want somebody with nonprofit experience and on top of it, I want somebody with, um, you know, a certain length of history, et cetera, et cetera. Does that really get you what you need for your job? You know, are you unnecessarily narrowing the pipeline um, up front on jobs that perpetuate gaps and really don't get you the, the most diverse group of folks to be able to choose from and evaluate? Um, are you really giving your company enough flexibility to see the possibilities of you're not just trying to plug a hole, but you're trying to be expansive in what somebody brings to the company and what they can build from, not just filling a hole, but what can they add? I think that's a great way that companies should look at it. And yes, you, I think you are very uniquely qualified for your role. And I, you, you, you found, like I said, what I think is a role of a, a lifetime for somebody with your background. In closing, what advice would you offer to other ambitious women about workplace behavior and their careers? I think one of the things that has served me well over the years is to never stop learning because I think there is no such thing as stasis. You know, we're either our brains and, and our knowledge and our skill sets, they're either growing or decaying. There, there is no such thing as really stasis because the world around us and, and the things we need to understand to be able to give good legal advice is always changing. So, so a continuous learning process is really important. I also think flipping the script on challenge. Um, as I mentioned earlier, can be really beneficial. There are things that are tremendously challenging that come up 
but we can also look to them as opportunities because when I look back and look at my professional and personal growth over the years, the things that have really fueled that and moved that forward appreciably uh, and efficiently have been the challenges that I faced and the growth that occurs through those. And so looking at challenges and obstacles in a different way and trying to see any silver linings that may be hidden in there. And then last, I think it's important to focus on service. And by the way, legal is my second career. My undergraduate degree is in hotel administration, and I used to be a general manager of a hotel. Uh, was my first job out of college. And so that really ground in a customer service mentality for me. And so focusing on serving my internal clients uh, really well, and then also for those who report to me, you know, giving them good service, meaning am I getting them the resources they need? And am I clearing the obstacles out of the way for them to take and run with what they're so very good at? You know, those are the things to keep my focus on service. Um, don't get discouraged by challenges and keep learning. Justine, thank you so much. This has been Between the Legal Lines, where you have just heard from Justine Harrison, General Counsel of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, or AOPA. I am Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for a new story from another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Thank you. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.